1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 196, BGA's 2018 Shopping Guide. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon backer, Jim. Jim, man, you rock! You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at DicetowerNetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. Anthony, it is the holiday season for us in America. It is Thanksgiving, and we have so much to be thankful for. We just mentioned our brand new Patreon backer, Jim. But of course... We are extremely thankful for all of our Patreon backers that help us bring you these episodes because we want to help you buy a ridiculous number of games this coming holiday season.
0: Yes, we're doing it. I love these episodes (laughs) because it's not even like stuff you haven't heard of. We're going to talk about almost entirely games we've covered on this podcast with a couple of additions here and there. So You've already heard these, and we're bringing them back, just in case you forgot. Uh, Get the wallet ready. This is our public service announcement for all gamers out there,
1: because the Black Friday sales are coming out there. You're going to buy some games. Cyber Monday is going to be there. You're going to buy some more games. Obviously, PAX is coming up. More games. And then, of course, there's going to be the holiday season where maybe your holidays allow you to buy even more games or games that you get for those holidays. Or, you know what? You got to buy games for your family members and your friends because it's literally the best game possible because you get to play more
0: games. Yes, that's what it's about, right? We're going to tell you literally dozens of games you should go buy. Absolutely. Well, this is a really good time. A lot of
1: sales upcoming. We get a lot of action, a lot of interest in these episodes. And I know especially our audience loves to hear what our recommendations are because, you know, money can be tight and you want to put the best games on the table. So we will definitely let you know on this episode which games are a buy. All of the games in the feature are buys. Don't worry about it. Just go out and pick those up. There is so much going on in board gaming. All right, Anthony, so speaking about the holidays, probably one of the most important holidays this holiday season is the holiday of Pax Unplugged, or what some other people call a convention.
0: It's a holiday for me. I know it's a holiday for you too, yes, right? it's part of my holiday season now. I mean, two years, but next year, man, we got a pattern, right? Just need one more. Three's a pattern. (laughs) There you go. So we're really excited about PAX coming up and
1: we're still making plans. So hopefully there will be some definite plans on the next episode right before PAX or on our Facebook. So we definitely want to keep you glued in on our social media. We're still working out some details. A lot of people haven't gotten back to us and things haven't been nailed down yet. But we are going to be in places during (laughs) times. And we would love to see you there to meet you and play games. And typically we're more on the ball, but we don't have control of all these things. So we will have more details in the future, but be sure that we will be there the entire time. But at the very least, I know that we can tell you for sure that Anthony and I will be spending probably a good majority of our time at the first look section,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, that's what we did last year. I mean, packs of all the cons we went to last year and for this year is very much about playing games because it's all the SN releases it's all the end of the year releases it's our chance to play them and a lot of these aren't even going to hit the US shores for another few months so this is our chance to play them and the best way if you want to hit us up or meet with us or say hi or whatever is sit down and play a game because we will be over there doing that frequently all three days yeah you can recognize us
1: with our BGA outfits Definitely the guys in black with the white symbols. That will be us. And we look like us. So check out our Facebook page so you remember what we look like. So you can be like, hey, you're the guys that look like the guys that do a podcast. And we're like, yeah, that's us. You want to play a game and it'll be cool and stuff like that. And So Anthony, that's our PAX kind of update. And obviously we'll have more updates as PAX comes up. Not to mention when actually PAX hits. So if you won't be at PAX Unplugged, don't worry, we always do our Facebook photos and our updates on Twitter. So you'll be with us in spirit at the very least. And we'll be definitely doing interviews at PAX. So our episode following PAX will be our PAX Unplugged Awards. So we'll be talking about the best of them PAX. And we'll also be having a lot of interviews. So we'll probably post that up as a separate segment so you can listen to people talk about all the upcoming great games. But that's not... All that
0: BJ's doing, Anthony, we ha- recently had a contest or so. Why don't you remind everyone about that? Yeah, about a month ago, um well, actually, the whole month of October, we ran a contest and we asked everybody, What are your favorite 20 games? Your top 20. We're going to put together our own top list here as we move into episode 200, which is coming up real soon. We just got like less than a month to go on that. But at the same time, we wanted to know the listeners' top games, something we haven't really done before. Um, We had hundreds of entries, which was amazing because so many people shared us all these big, long lists, all their favorite games. Um, I'm still working on putting the list together. It's almost done. I already know what the top five are. Uh, I'm not going to share it now. It is coming up, though, in a future episode. (laughs) Uh, Even Chris doesn't know. I have all the data. I don't know.
1: I'm so excited
0: about that, though. Um, but because we ran this contest back in October, I didn't want to make everybody who entered wait forever to find out who the winner is. So we did draw the winner. Adam, Adam Demers, congratulations. You are the winner of this contest. Uh, Adam had a lot of great games on his list. He had Orleans, he had Century Spice Road, uh, Viticulture, Azul, Castles of Burgundy, Quest for El Dorado. Lots and lots of good games that I fully agree with and put, would put up you know, in my top 50 as well. And, uh, those games will be tallied up, added to the totals, uh, as we put together that top list of listener games. And once that list is finalized, Adam will be able to choose one of those games as his prize for winning the contest. So congratulations to Adam. Thank you to everybody who entered. Hopefully we'll have that list up for you by the end of the year, right around the time of episode 200. Uh, I'm excited for it as I kind of play with the spreadsheet a little bit, um, some surprises in there already which is pretty cool
1: yeah i'm really excited too i can't wait to have that episode because typically i know it's going to be on the episode so not knowing what games everyone loves the best it's gonna be a lot of fun for me and obviously going to help us a great deal in the future so we can talk more about the games you might like and since now we know what the top list is we can look for games that fit that obviously one of our best features is if you like this game try out these other games so now we have a whole list of things to look forward to in the future all right anthony so that's everything that's going on with bga for the moment but there is so much more as we said our social media please keep in contact with us we'll have updates as far as all the great games that are coming out and hopefully the best places to pick those up so anthony we're going to skip ahead we're not going to hit our question of the week because pretty much everyone questions of the week is definitely all about our upcoming shopping guide And our acquisition disorders are pretty much our 2018 shopping guide. So let's jump directly ahead to our at the table. Anthony, what did you get to the table
0: this week? All right. I have two that I want to talk about. One is an expansion for a game from last year that I really enjoyed. And the other is, for me, my most anticipated thing of November. So let's start with that expansion. And that is Arthur, the uh, expansion for Merlin. So Merlin is a game from Stefan Fell and Michael Rinnick came out last year from Queen Games. It was only available through Kickstarter or at conventions. I kickstarted it. You got it at a convention. I'm not sure anybody else can get it anywhere else. Expansion is more or less the same in that regard. And it adds a little bit less than I expected, to be honest. This expansion comes with a new rondelle that goes in the middle of the board and now has a little Arthur piece, a little black piece that moves around, which means everybody gets a new die. Basically increases the length of the game by about... 20% or so Uh, before you had four dice. Now you had five and there is no mitigation there. It's just a longer game because you have more actions you can take, which is fine. It was not a super long game to start with about 90 minutes. Now it's two hours. So if you liked it for being short, the expansion does not help with that. The rondelle, however, does help with a few things. First, it moves the grail and the Excalibur pieces to this new rondelle. Um, They took up spaces on the main rondelle before They were interesting, but not super powerful as pieces. So most people would avoid them uh, for the most part. It was really hard to get apples as a result, which are the only way to manipulate your die rolls. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, most people ran out of apples early. Maybe one or two people would pick up one throughout the game, and they really didn't do much. The new rondelle makes it so there are new spaces for both rondelles, both the interior one for Arthur and the exterior one for everybody and Merlin, including new ways to get apples. There's also a new option for completing multiple quest cards with the signet ring. And then you have these picked pieces. This is a new mechanic. And these just give you stuff. They they, each of them have something printed on them. And there's like a tableau of four to choose from. Um, So maybe you get a banner, maybe you get a cube, maybe you get a special action or you get to put something in the environs. Whatever it is, it's basically an action you might get on another space. It's not like a super powered action. But the picks also give you uh, a certain amount of points, not game points, but like points towards scoring points. It's a little confusing the way they word it. But essentially, whoever has the highest scoring set of picks at the end of each scoring round will get three points, Whoever has the lowest loses three points. So kind of an interesting thing. You want to get a little bit of them. You don't want to be the last place with that. That's about it. That's what the game changes. And, you know, with an expansion like this, especially because it came in like a full-size box, you expect a little bit more. Uh, And I, at first, was a little disappointed. But after playing it a couple times, getting through some of these things, I feel like it does a good job of dealing with some of the issues that the original game had. Um, One, easier to get apples. Two, more options on the main rondelle that are not like, you know, if you already had Excalibur and your option was to go to Excalibur, that kind of sucked because it was a waste of an action almost. You know, it still does its thing, but you already have it. So stuff like that is a little bit better. It's a little bit easier to get things. Scores in general have been higher because you now have a fifth action every turn. The game is a little bit longer, but not significantly longer because that extra die is only on a single rondelle by itself. So you're not trying to do the math nine times. The interesting thing, too, is that there are now spaces on both the Arthur Rondell and the main one that allow you to move other pieces. So. You might land on a in the main one, uh, you know, a space that'll say move the Arthur uh, piece one space in either direction. Or you might land Arthur on a space on a space that says move Merlin one to three spaces in either direction. So you have more ways to manipulate the dice and get what you want, which does does add a little bit of extra AP to the game, but not so much in a game that already had a decent amount of that. So I like it. I don't think it's necessary. Are vital to this game. I think if you liked Merlin already, you will like this fine. If you did not like Merlin at all, I don't know that this fixes that. I think this expansion is for people who are on the fence, who are like, I like the ideas, but I have these issues. I get stuck taking actions too many times that I don't really like. I want more flexibility. This fixes that. And I don't know how many people that covers, to be honest. Um, the picks feel like kind of a, almost a throw in. They don't really need to be there. There's like a board for that to stack them on. There's also a board to stack the tableau of, you know, mission cards on. Neither of those is necessary. So there's like extra bits in the box. It didn't need to be there. It's a, you know, it's worth playing. I I definitely don't, it's not a go buy expansion for sure, but I have mixed it in. I'll probably leave it in there. I'm not going to pull it back out. So it's also not an expansion I dislike or think failed in what it was trying to do. I just don't think it's something you rush out to get if you're like, ugh, this game. So,
1: you know, this game for me, I haven't played the Arthur expansion, it should actually be King Arthur expansion, but let's move past that. This game like <laughs> no other really feels like it's trying so hard to be pleasing to everyone and failing at the same time. Now, I know Michael Renek, fantastic designer, and Stefan Feld, amazing, amazing designer. Both of them together is tremendous. I don't know what Queen Games or Calamity Games had to do with this game, but it feels like there are multiple people or like, like the expression goes, too many cooks in the kitchen because it's a dice rolling game that's going to determine more or less where you go. And you have to accept that as a game mechanic. And as you mentioned, it's kind of disappointing or problematic when you can't go to the places you want to go. But that should be a thing. Now, if you want to mitigate the dice rolls, which most Euro gamers like to do, that's fine. But there's so much of that mitigation, even just in the base game alone, and especially with a couple of the Queenie tiles that come into play, that it's like every time I'm rolling dice and I'm always mitigating my dice... So what's the point of rolling dice if they're if I'm just mitigating them all the time? I don't understand exactly what the thought here is because it's just it, – there's a lot here, and it's not bad, but it's, it's just trying to be everything, and I'm not really sure if it's accomplishing anything in particular other than being a very lightweight Euro game, which is fine, but then – you keep trying to fix it, whoever you are, and it's just adding to the length. Like one of the Queenies that adds the new tiles to that kind of like layout of, of like the land is great. The other Queenie just kind of lets you kind of manipulate things if you decide not to utilize certain things. And that's that's a waste of time. It just adds to the length. So I'm just not sure how to feel about Merlin. It's fine, but it's also like not as good as it could be. And it's also not great in some cases. It, I don't know. I'm just very mixed up about Merlin.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I've like I've enjoyed some games of it. I've disliked some games of it. I don't, it's rare that like multiple multiple plays into a game like this, a euro like this, especially from Stefan Feld. I don't have like a strong opinion one way or another. Where I'm like, oh, it's good, or oh, it's not for me. I'm just like, I don't know. It might be fine. Depends on what happens in this game. Like. One person could have crazy AP trying to math out the dice and it can just drag the thing down. The game should take an hour and 20 minutes and it can take two and a half if the wrong person's playing. Um, Expansion does not help with that, that's for sure. So I don't know. It's it's definitely a very narrow band, I think, for this expansion. If you're looking into it and you have the game, make sure that you already like the game enough to play it with it, but maybe feel like it needs an upgrade. All right. So what else you got for us this week? All right. So the second game is Keyforge: Call of the Archons. This is the new unique deck game from Fantasy Flight Games designed by Richard Garfield. You will notice that it is number one on the hotness and will probably stay there for a little bit. Uh, The game just launched this last weekend as of recording this. And uh, I've had a chance to play it quite a bit. Actually, I went to the pre-release. I went to the release. I've played in the tournament and lost and i've played it a few times at the game store locally since then as you can tell i'm very much enjoying the game a couple different things to talk about here i feel like i'll run through the basic mechanics real quick but they're not super complicated especially if you've played ccgs and then there's all the stuff that goes on top of that oh the unique part or you know the, the way the decks work and everything that's the stuff people are generally interested in basic idea of the game is though you have seven factions Brobnar, which are just basically barbarians discs which are demons logos Uh, Robots, Mars is your aliens, Sanctum is your paladins, Shadows is your thieves, and Untamed is your wild creatures. And in each deck, and the way this works is you buy the decks sealed, or if you get a, a starter pack, you get two decks that are always the same, but you can't use them in anything. It's just to learn the game, and two sealed decks. Every sealed deck has 36 cards in it, 12 from each of three of those seven factions. So you get three of them at random, you don't know what they they are until you open it. And then 12 cards from each of them. There's something like 350 cards total in the set right now. So about 50 from each faction. So you're getting about a quarter of those. And there can be duplicates, I think up to three of each card can be in your deck. The way the game works, then is you have those 36 cards. And when it's your turn, you choose which house you're going to play. So you say, all right, I have a lot of Brobnar cards in my hand, I choose Brobnar, you can play any Brobnar card from your hand, there are no costs on any of the cards. If you have all six of your cards at Brobnar, play them all. Do whatever you want. Um, you don't have to, but you can. And the the interesting part, though, of course, is next time, if you suddenly have a bunch of Logos cards in your hand, and you choose Logos, all those Brobnar cards you played last round do nothing unless you have a card that like breaks that rule. There's a few of them that do that. So you can only activate cards both from your hand and on the field if that's the house you choose. So what you're doing is you are choosing which one you want to use and locking out the other ones. So you might build up a great tableau of a certain house, but if you really need to play a different house, you are putting those guys on the hold for another round. It is beneficial to have kind of a mix of different houses out on the field because you don't know what you're going to draw. Like, let's say I played those six Brabnar cards. I draw six new cards for the next round. None of them are Brabnar, So now I have to choose either only activate the cards on the field or only play cards from my hand. That's always the risk that you're taking when you do that. So there's a lot of like balancing and kind of manipulating and thinking through like, oh, can I do this? Can I do this? I don't know what I want to do. Uh, Making that decision is very interesting. The other thing that's really important is board control uh, in most card games is be all end all, right? If you have majority control out on the board, you're probably going to win because you have all that power, the ability to do damage. In Keyforge, you're only damaging other cards. You don't damage the other person or their character. There's no like avatar that you're attacking like in Magic where you're trying to whittle down someone's health. What you're trying to do is you're trying to forge keys. And the way that works is you generate ember, these little yellow tokens. When you have six of them, you say, check, on my next turn, I can forge a key. If you still have six on your next turn, because people can steal and capture them from you, you will forge a key. And that allows you to flip over one of your three keys. Once you flip over all three, you win the game. So the game becomes kind of this weird push and pull of like, all right, I have majority control here. I can attack his guys and like whittle it down, but I'm not really generating enough uh, ember to win the game. If I do that, any one of your guys, if you activate their house can be tapped or I, I forgot the language they use here, but you can turn them sideways and reap with them to uh, To get Ember with them, but that's not as efficient as doing something with that character. So it's something else to kind of keep in mind. Lots and lots of interesting decisions to be made there. I really, really like these mechanics because the game offers just different, unique ways to do things. You're not just fighting each other. It's not all about combat. It's not all about you know managing your mana sources or the resources you have available. It's about building an engine, however you choose to do it, that will generate enough Ember that you can forge your keys while at the same time building an engine that can stop your opponent from building up their ember, steal it from them, capture from them, whatever, and doing this with whatever cards just happen to come out of the deck. The unique part of it, like I said, every single deck is unique, you're going to get from that pool of 350 cards. And the the re- <laughs> the really funny part about it is every single deck also has a unique name. And if you've done any searching or read anything about Keyforge in the last 2 weeks, you've seen that some of those names are Questionable, problematic, possibly um, recalled. Even in some cases, uh, most of them are kind of silly and stupid. I can read off kind of some of my names that I have from my decks, and they're not particularly, you know, ridiculous. I mean, they're they're nonsense, but they're not like, oh wow, that should be recalled. So I got Silamitas, the alien that spies on the flux. Zarek, <laughs> uh, traitor of the Mercury Bastion. We have the dependable free- priest of Farhome. And Dame Rake, the bony baronet. So just nonsense, right? Uh, they're funny. And it's kind of become a game at my local store of like, if somebody buys a deck, they have to open it right there because everybody needs to know what the name is. The cards inside are less important. People are like, I don't care. I just want to know what the name of your deck is. Uh, I don't know. I really like this game a lot. I feel like this was designed for me uh, and people like me who are of a certain age, where maybe you could afford to build a magic deck, but you certainly don't have the time. You don't have the inclination to deal with the magic community, and you don't enjoy that part of it. Um, With Keyforge, I can buy a deck, open it, play the deck, see what happens. 30, 40 minutes tops, right? The tournaments, same thing. open a couple decks, you play them, you see what happens. I love that. The game has been a lot of fun so far. I even played it with my son, um, who didn't quite get everything as we were working through it but got enough of it and really like the idea of kind of just randomly getting whatever I give to him so um keyforge for me definitely a buy I think it's worth checking out especially because the buy-in is so low you can spend 20 bucks get two decks try the game out that's all you need maybe a couple dice and some tokens um, you don't need the starter kit but even if you want the starter kit they're super sold out everywhere so just buy a couple decks and uh, give it a go that is Key Forge, guys. I am very, very much enjoying this game. Looking forward to playing it at PAX if I can.
1: You know, I got to be honest with you. I'm all about the names of these decks. Typically, it's about mechanics, but if I'm going to play this game, I have to have a good name for my
0: deck because, come on, what's the point? I know. This is the part that bothers me is my best deck, which is the one I opened in the tournament. And I lost with it because how the tournaments work is you play it, you switch with the other person, and then you bid, basically giving up a handicap for The winning deck if you both use the same deck and it wins and my deck is called the brave scamp which is super boring but it won four times and hasn't lost yet so i'm just like well (laughs) it's a pretty good deck but man is it a boring name i don't want to throw that out there on the table i need a good one with a good name
1: and honestly that's the only thing that i've been hearing at game nights these days has been the names of the decks and not a lot of people have been talking about the mechanics. So I'm really glad to hear that. It's a great game. I was kind of worried about that. That would just be kind of like this odd, strange kind of cash in because CCGs are known to kind of come up there, burn your pocketbook and then just disappear. I mean, obviously it's Richard Garfield and he's all about magic. So you can't really question him too much as far as that's concerned, but this gigantic algorithm kind of pumping this game out is a little odd. And obviously deck names like, The Emperor Who Buys Boys is a problem that I, I, you know, it kind of worries me a little bit because it's like, remember 504? It was like, it's amazing. It does all these things. We have not, you know, tested half of them. So I will like to see this played. But honestly, once again, if it doesn't have a crazy stupid name, I just can't in good conscience pick this game up, man. I mean, you know,
0: it's all about the deck name. You got to find a weird deck name. Yeah, no, I don't. I've seen some people complain about various like mechanical things or how it works and whatnot. I haven't played a CCG enough to have those kind of deep opinions. Like sure. in like 15 years, I haven't played magic for you know more than a decade. And, and there are certainly like you play with other people and you're like, this deck is better than that deck, but there's also a system for handicapping it. So I don't know how it's going to play out like at a high level at a competitive level, but for a casual who just wants to sit down and play a game real quick and see how these different decks work, man, is it cool? Like it's, all right. I can't review it at the higher level, but for for me and how I play games, this is awesome. Excellent.
1: All right, Anthony. So I got two ridiculously heavy games to the table, both literally and I guess metaphorically, because these games are from Chip Theory Games, and they're all about their chips. They're all about their components, and you probably know what they are about. Because first up is Too Many Bones. Now, Too Many Bones is kind of I guess you could say the game that chip theory games made its bones on. (laughs) This game basically is a dice building RPG. Now, if you have not played or have not seen too many bones, it's a very interesting game. So first off, you are going to be more or less kind of adventurers and you're these kind of interesting little creatures that are going out there in order to take on the baddies And, you know, win the day for your people. And your people, or your adventures here, are Gearlock. And you will have a character. And really interesting artwork here. Slightly realistic and slightly cartoony. Probably the best thing, would probably say, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Goblins from the original The Hobbit movie. I guess that's probably the closest thing I can kind of give you as a reference as far as that's concerned. So... Basically, you're going to get a character. It's going to be these amazing neoprene mats. It's basically like a mouse pad, and it's going to have these punch-outs for dice. Now, dice in this game are going to be used to roll for hits and defense, but they're also going to be used to upgrade your character and to be able to gain special abilities throughout the game. So they have a number of different uses in the game, and the dice are quite nice. They... Have an interesting graphic design style to them. They're not like super serious. They're a little cartoony, but not all the way. A a Massive Darkness or a Dungeons and Dragons type of situation. It's definitely more on the serious side as far as that's concerned. So you get your character. You start up your character as far as putting your points in certain areas. And obviously there are the basics. You have your health. You have your dexterity, your defense, and your attack. And obviously, since this is a hack and slash type of game, your attack is going to be very important and you are going to be able to level up your character throughout the game. And there is a bottom section that's going to be unique to your character that's going to give your character special abilities and be able to do special things throughout the game. So there is Boomer, who's all about putting together these machines, throwing bombs, and it's going to be your range character. There's Patches, which is not a surprise. That's your medic in the game all about your healing. There's going to be Picket, which is all about defense, basically your tank in the game, and has a lot of special abilities that's going to help you preserve your party. And then Tantrum, which is going to be your kind of like Berserker melee attacker. So the game itself is pretty customizable, and there's a lot of different varieties to the gameplay, because what you're going to do is kind of pick your baddie, just like you do with Gloomhaven, see whatever your adventure happens to be. And then you're going to put together a deck And it's going to be this encounter deck. The first couple encounters are always the same. It's going to kind of start you off so you don't know what's coming. And as you flip over the encounter cards, there's going to be a little bit of a story to it, which is really nice. And then it's going to ask you, well, what do you want to do in this particular situation? Now, I don't want to give anything away because I don't want to ruin your time with the game if you do decide to pick it up. But basically, there's going to be some options. There's going to be one or two options. And it's going to give you an idea of what will happen with that option. So you might run into a situation where you could, like, help some people out or mess some people up. And it's going to say, well, if you do that, then these things are going to have to take place, which typically, but what's good about this game is not always, there won't always be a combat situation. But typically, you'll choose a combat situation because the deck that you're putting together is always going to be about taking down the big baddie so you want to move towards that way and of course you have to get through the minions and the mini bosses eventually get down to the big baddie so when you get to those situations now it kind of zooms out and now you're in a battle situation so you're walking around and you're doing some good things you're upgrading your character you're picking up different weapons and different treasures and different loot throughout the game and you find yourself the situation. So now there is a separate mat and it's this is battle mat. And it's a, once again, it's a little bit bigger than a mouse pad mat and it's going to allow you to set up your heroes and the villains and the different monsters that you're going to be facing. And what's interesting about this game, it's very much like High Heavens. Remember we talked about High Heavens, which is a great little miniatures game, two player game, which is going to have these little discs underneath the characters. Same thing here. It's chip theory games, it's all about the chips you'll get these really nice baddie chips that'll have like a black and white picture of the baddie you're fighting. It'll have all the information on there. And then there'll be health chips underneath that baddie. You'll put health chips under your guys. And then you will have these dice that will show initiative. So the challenging part of the game is to take out the bad guys before they take out your team. Sometimes you can get taken out really early. Even sometimes based on initiative, you get taken out right from the start. Definitely a little bit challenging. You can play this game solo or cooperatively with a number of people at the table. There is a solo deck and there's solo situations for the game. And there's obviously co-op situations. And the co-op situations for this game is really where the game shines. Because the more characters you have in play, the more kind of unique interactions you can have in play. But basically the game comes down to a lot of melee and range. You're going to move your character around a little bit. The, the little mat is not that big for kind of like positioning. But positioning does play a role. And then you're going to roll your dice. You roll your dice to attack. There'll be special abilities. You'll use special abilities and dexterity to roll certain dice. And then obviously, hopefully, you come to a victory. Once that adventure comes to an end, there'll be a recovery phase. And you'll start over and you'll go back to a new day. You'll reset everything. You'll go on a new encounter. And then hopefully, you'll eventually fight the big baddie and you'll win the day because you upgrade your character properly. So how does this play as a game? It's really fun. It's definitely dynamic. It's a different type of game experience. Obviously, it has some of the traditional hack and slash dice rolling of most of the games you play. Maybe it's Arcadia Quest. Maybe it's Massive Darkness. Any number of D&D kind of dungeon crawl games. And it also has some of the encounter and the story situations of a Gloomhaven and a character development. Now, this is not a legacy game, so it doesn't allow you to take multiple, multiple, multiple games, although you could do that. I guess there is some way you can kind of like hold on to your character, but it's typically not built for that. This is basically a one-and-done type of situation, and obviously you can set the deck up, so you can decide if you want to have a short game or a long game. Now, here's one of the problems with the game. It says 60 to 90 minutes, which is completely wrong. You can have a solo adventure where the game lasts 30, 45 minutes, And sometimes even shorter. And you can have a situation where there's a co-op situation where the game lasts sometimes three to four hours. So I don't know where they got 60 to 90 minutes. Now, the game itself has a lot of really nice pieces that helps you set up, break down the game very quickly. It has these really great trays. So everything is kind of like vacuum form. So you know exactly where things go. Everything is built to last Everything's waterproof, even the cards are these PVC type of cards. A little slick to hold, but they're really decent. And you know, it's a very good game, but the game itself, because it's going to be one of these kind of RPG element kind of board games, it has an extremely steep learning curve. Now, each player is given a double-sided sheet that's going to tell you about the abilities and things you can do, how to set your character up. But at the same time, this is not the type of game that you can just bring to game night and go, hey, let's play. This is the type of game where like, hey, it's Saturday. We got six hours free. I'm going to give you the sheets and teach you the game. It's probably going to take about an hour. And then we'll get to play the game, which, as I mentioned, could take three or four hours to play. It's highly enjoyable. It kind of leans towards those lifestyle types of games, even though it's not a legacy kind of game. So... You know, it's it's a kind of odd situation. It's a very expensive game. The components do kind of match up with the expense, but it's something that you have to make the decision of. If you're going to commit to the game, you have to commit to the time. You got to commit to, you know, teaching the people, the characters, and the characters are really great. They're very asymmetrical, not radically, but they do do different things. They do have special abilities. And Chip Theory Games has a lot of small expansions, that are just character expansion. Now I don't have those. So I can't tell you about the different interactions, but the four base characters in the games are pretty great. And they're kind of like standard kind of characters, a new box, or I guess you can consider an expansion because you could use the characters in your previous game, but also it's a standalone game is undertow. So too many bones is the base game undertow is the expansion slash standalone game. And that has two players in there. So you might be interested in trying this game out. So I would recommend Undertow if you're gonna like let's check this game out before we commit to so much money as far as too many bones is concerned. But same components, same great characters. In fact, I actually like the two characters in Undertow better. The writing, as far as the scenarios go, is better. The rule book for both games is problematic. It's definitely something you're going to have to read on your own, learn on your own, and then come up with like a teaching strategy because it's just not intuitive. The tuna characters, Duster is kind of has its own like different gameplay because you're going to be able to bring a kind of uh, animal companion into play. And Standa is going to be your bard in the game. So these are very different types of gameplay elements that come into play love the new characters too many bones and undertow definitely get a play so if you do see this if you do have a friend that does have this game i highly recommend investing the time in these games if you are going to pick up one of them i recommend undertow now while both of them are identical pretty much the writing is better in undertow the explanation is a little bit better the characters are a little bit better so that's going to be my buy if you have to pick between the two if you do like undertow go back buy too many bones because you'll be definitely happy with that if you're just looking to kind of dip your toe in go with undertow i think you'll be pretty happy with it if you do have the time in the group to play
0: yeah yeah i had i had a lot of issues with this game and it's funny because i had the same you know, kind of responsive, of like this is good. It takes forever to teach so long. And it's just not worth playing with other people at all. Yes. Unless you have a group like a Gloomhaven situation. It's just not worth it. It takes like an hour plus. And that's it's exhausting. If anybody has any amount of AP at the table, the game, like you said, takes three plus hours to play. And it's like head banging on the table. Frustrating. Just like, just do the thing uh, on the solo side. It is obviously quicker, more streamlined, easier to get into. But in terms of like, Dungeon Crawley Puzzles, I think there's a few others that I like more. Not a lot more. I think it's fine. But it was definitely on the line between dodge and play. I I can see uh, where you're coming from. All right, Anthony. So that's it for games that hit our table.
1: Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about BGA's 2018 Shopping Guide, everything you need to buy during this holiday season, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all the holiday sales that are coming up you definitely want to check these games out. I'm really excited because I want to get a holiday list together and now I actually have one. So I know what to pick up.
0: Yeah, man, I a hundred percent agree. It's uh if you're buying games for other gamers or even just for the family, it's, it's good to have kind of a starting point because obviously there are way too many games out there to choose from and new ones coming out every single week. I know that I'm going to PAX next week and I'm, my head is spinning because I'm like, well, maybe this guy, if they have this game, I have to buy this. But if they have this, then I have to buy this and I can't buy that. and I can only carry home so many games. And I'm, ah. So uh, for everybody who's not insane like I am, this is a, a good starting point. And everything on this list is a 2018 release ish around there. So these are not, you know, we're not looking at all board games. We're looking at new board games. And, uh, you know, assuming that our listeners are caught up on their collections. (laughs) Yeah, and you can pick
1: these games up. They're available right now, whether it's your local friendly game store or your local big box gamer or your online retailer. So a lot of great stuff. Obviously, PAX will have a lot of these, pick up these conventions, or at the very least during your time off during the holiday season, definitely get these games to the table.
0: All right, Anthony. So why don't you start off with our first category? All right, children's games. It's all me, right? So these are five games that have really hit the table hard in my household. Big hits. I reviewed all of them here on the podcast. All of them, strong recommendations. The first of these is Pyramid of the Pen Queen. This is from Brain Games, people behind Ice Cool. And it's a remake of Pyramid, the old Ravensburger game, but with the characters from Ice Cool, Little Penguins, like magnets on both sides, kind of a deduction game, but really well made for children. Both my almost four-year-old and my seven-year-old love it uh both very into it and uh, has been a strong hit. My Little Scythe is the children's take, family take on Scythe from uh, Stonemeyer Games. This is also a big hit in the household. It's a little bit bigger of a production. It's probably the most expensive, um, well, I guess the second most expensive of these five children's games, but gets a lot of play. Those little miniatures are often not in the box. I don't know where they are in the house sometimes, but we hunt them down when we want to play. Very, very popular Dragon's Breath actually won the Kinderspiel des Jahres this year. This is the the newest from um, HABA Games, and it is very simple. It's great for the little ones. Uh, I think the older children, not so much, but for three, four years old, perfect. You are basically trying to guess which gems are going to fall out of this tower of gems that you create as your dragon kind of collects them. Stuffed Fables is brilliant. This is the uh, first of the storybook games. Uh, very much directed towards children. My kids eat this up. They absolutely love it. And this is the most expensive of this group, but absolutely worth it, especially if you have kids who like story-based games, a lot of theme. If you've played Mice and Mystics and are looking for the next step, this is it. Stuff Fables is amazing. Definitely worth picking up if you have, especially multiple children in the house that you want to get engaged in a game like this. And the last one, not necessarily on anybody's radar, but kind of a household favorite here for my son who's obsessed with video games and super mario we have super mario level up and it is it's a remake actually of the old king me so you're moving different characters up this board and it's a little bit of like a press your luck deduction type of game where you're trying to guess what other characters people have and bid accordingly very fun and my son gets really into it and very very engaged plus it has the mario theme which is great if you're trying to get like youngish kids who are into video games into board games so there you have it five children's games worth checking out
1: all right so now for our two player games there are a big list for this holiday season we just talked about one of the best that anthony got a chance to play that's keyforge if for no other reason than the crazy names that you'll get to get to the table that's a lot of fun jump back and listen to anthony's information on that also star wars Legion. Now we're talking about a miniatures game that's in the Star Wars universe, and it's pretty much everything you could want as far as your Galactic versus Rebels kind of fighting it out on terrain, and it's definitely kind of simplified for, you know, us non-war game players. There's War Chess, which is an abstract battle game from AEG, tremendous fun, Crystal Caverns. From Plathead Games, not as heavy as Summoner Wars, but not that light either. It's a nice little battle game with really nice artwork. And finally, Hannibal and Hanlikar, which is a two-player war game that's currently out and available. It's actually its 20th year anniversary edition that you could pick up. Brand new miniatures, looks fantastic. If you have a heavy war game fan on your list this is definitely the game you should pick up
0: all right so going from two players down to one for all the solo gamers out there we actually just did top 100 solo games pair of episodes last week and this week on uh every night is game night so if you want a huge list of games to buy for solo play check that out but these are five that i'm recommending that came out in 2018 that i'm having a lot of fun with that i would strongly recommend um for various reasons so first on the list we have welcome to Lots and lots of rolling rights came out this year. It's really hot right now. and Clever is another one that almost made this list. But Welcome To is my favorite rolling right of the year. And there's no rolling You're using cards instead of dice. So this is a fantastic one. Just had a Kickstarter, a bunch more content on the way very soon. Um, next up is Now Boarding. This is the new game from Fowers Games. In it, you are moving airplanes and passengers around the country. It is a real time game, but the real time element is such that you can play this solo, especially when you mix in some of the extra like VIP mechanics, which I think you kind of need to make the game interesting. Really enjoyed this. It was a, I was a little lukewarm on it at first, but I've kind of warmed up to it. And now it's right up there with the rest of the Fowers games um, that I've played. Brawl Brawlopolis. This is from Button Shy Games, and they're famous for making wallet games. These are tiny little card games, usually 18 cards that fit in like this Wallet Sleeve. Um, They run them all on Kickstarter, one every month or two. And this one in particular is, in my opinion, one of their best. You are laying cards out, building this sprawling metropolis, and you have to follow all these various rules about how to match up different parts of the city to score points or avoid negative points. Very, very good. Takes five or ten minutes, but it's decently difficult. Well worth checking out. And it plays with two. Renegade is a cooperative game that plays down to one Um, it's made by uh, the one of the godfathers of solo gaming he made a lot of videos he actually made the videos about how to play war of the ring that i used to learn to play war of the ring when chris and i first played it ricky royal and this game is all about hacking and moving through the mainframe and trying to like solve these different things and go up these against these uh big bosses within this computer cyberpunk universe Very, very interesting take on deck building with a solo spin. And then last but not least, Heroes of Terranoth. This one just hit the table. And this is the spot where I would normally put like Arkham CG, but we are looking at 2018 releases. Heroes of Terranoth is a remake of um, Warhammer Quest adventure card game, which I really, really liked, but never had an expansion because they dropped the Warhammer license shortly after launching it. Heroes of Terranoth is in the Terranoth universe. Same designers, same mechanics, a few tweaks. So looking forward to, you know, various expansions here. Uh, if you're looking for something kind of adventure-ish with that type of mechanic, you have this game, which is readily available right now. All right. So on our lighter game side, if you're
1: looking to get a game with the family or friends at the table, we got some great games here. So Picoco is a is a trick-taking game that Anthony actually likes from Brain Games. Yes. <laughs> so Brain Games did the impossible and put out a wonderful produced game. And it's colorful, it's light, it's fun, and it's trick-taking in the best way possible. And it's Anthony approved, so definitely check out that one. We also have Dragon Castle from Simon Games. This is the mahjong version of a board game in which it's all about building up your own little castle area and putting little temple tops on it and there's some action cards that kind of just kind of add some diversity to the game beautiful production from cmon games very serene very interesting definitely check that one out. And then there's Everdale from Starling Games. This is a tableau builder worker placement game set in this wonderfully colorful and imaginative universe where these little animal critters are putting together a city. It seems super cutesy and super simple, but there's actually a lot of great gameplay here. It's definitely a recommended game. Next up. Rise of Tribes from Breaking Games. So you love civilization games, but you don't love civilization games that take, you know, Millennium to play. Rise of Tribes is a great game as far as utilizing some of those great mechanics of building and exploring, but in a short amount of time and an outstanding production. And finally, Gizmos from Simon Games. So Gizmos is an excellent tableau builder for people who maybe haven't used a tableau builder. And it's not just a tableau builder, It's also all about the marble. You pick what marble you want to play, and then it's going to interact with your tableau and set off a whole bunch of different gizmos in order, of course, you score your points.
0: Fantastic, fun game. Definitely something you should check out. All right, on to the medium games. Behemoth of 2018, Azul. This is a fantastic abstract game that uses these different tiles, and you're trying to finish these different patterns based on this kind of communal draft that you do at the beginning of every round. Plays fantastic with... Basically every player count, although it's a little cutthroat with two, so keep that in mind. Uh, next up is Jurassic Park Danger. This is kind of an oddball that gets gets thrown in here, if only because it's been such a hit in my household. It is a one versus many take on Jurassic Park. It's sold at Target, I believe, from Ravensburger, and it is one player plays the dinosaurs. They are they have three different dinosaur tokens and a handful of cards, and then everybody else plays one of the characters. If you're the dinosaurs, you're trying to eat everybody. And if you're everybody else, you're trying to get off the island, simple enough, um, you're moving around, you're manipulating uh, the different terrain to try to block each other, you are as the humans trying to turn on the uh, the electric fences and get to the the helicopter, get off the island, and each character has their own unique thing they need to do uh, to be eligible to leave. Very, very interesting, and doesn't get a lot of talk, but it has been a really solid, medium weight kind of semi-co-op type of game in this house. Next up is Bunny Kingdom. This is another Richard Garfield joint blowing up the list this uh, year. This is an area control game in which you are drafting cards that will either allow you to put your bunnies out on the map and you're trying to build little civilization type clusters of bunnies or give you various bonuses, um, upgrades to your current territory, um, ways to score more points end game points all that cool stuff the cool thing is nothing can take your bunnies off the map so it's not one of those area control games where you lose turns and can't do things the scores go crazy by the end of the game you're scoring up in the high 200s love this game it takes about an hour hour and a half very sleek easy to teach a lot of fun and incredibly cute with great artwork space Base is a kind of space version of machi Koro. You have a giant tableau of different spaceships. You upgrade them as you go, rolling dice. As people roll dice, you get to do actions on your turn on any space where you've already upgraded a ship. The game is a little slow to start, but in the end, it it runs pretty cleanly over about an hour. Very solid medium game that I'm looking forward to expansions from. It's from AEG, so I know we're going to get them. Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, this is the mashup of Between Two Cities and... The Castles of Mad King Ludwig, it is a much better version of, in my opinion, both of those games, because I wasn't a huge fan of Mad King Ludwig. And it's just a solid, very engaging kind of hour-ish long, medium weight filler-ish type of game that plays up to seven players. And all those words together have never been said about any other game. (laughs) So that's why it's made the list. Scoring's a bit of a headache, but everything else in this game is fantastic. So there you go, five medium games to take a look all at. All right, so now the heavy games, the games that deserve
1: the most amount of table time and the most the most amount of brain power. Starting off with the probably one of the biggest games this year, as far as Euro games concerned, in City of Gods. Now, this is the game from NSNK Games, and it's all about this wonderful module rondel board in which you are building up and trying to utilize the powers in order to gain the favor of the gods and be the best builder of the magnificent Pyramid of the Sun. Brass Birmingham. Brass is back out, Lancashire is out, but Brass Birmingham really does something fantastic. It really opens up Brass for a lot of different strategies and opportunities that you didn't have with the original. It's a fantastic game and definitely the one I recommend over Lancashire. Root from Leader Games, asymmetrical war gameplay with the cutest little minions possible. If you haven't tried this game out, it was the biggest game from Gen Con. Sit down at the table and check out Heaven and Ale from our favorite Michael Kiesling and Andreas Schmidt. This is all about producing this wonderful ale from these monks, utilizing a great tableau builder that's extremely tight. This is really going to take all of your computing power in order to win the day. Next up, Coimbra. Now, this is another Eckert spiel game, just like Heaven and Ale, and this is all about the wonderful university city in which you will be utilizing a dice drafting mechanic, which we talked about at length. Beautiful artwork, great production, lots of fun, and yet offers some amazing decision-making throughout the game. And finally, Gaia Project. Now, you probably have all picked up Terra Mystica, have the expansion, and really just kind of grinded it to the dust. Why don't you try Terra Mystica in space? Gaia Project does a lot of different things to open that game up. A lot of extended gameplay can be found here and some different choices.
0: All right, so that's our heavy games. All right, and then last, kind of a bonus category. We don't talk about RPGs very often, but they tend to have some really cool gift-type stuff. And there are some games that kind of evoke those types of things that I think will be a good fit with RPG players. And honestly, this was uh, kind of inspired by the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition core rulebook gift set that was released this year by Wizards of the Coast. This is a beautiful slipcase with fantastic artwork, three special edition covers of the player's handbook, Dungeon Master Guide and Monster Manual. You can get all three together in the slipcase. It's not cheap. It's, I think, like $175, but if you consider those books typically cost $50 bucks and you're buying this for a DD and d fan, might be a pretty good gift. Looks amazing. So that's number one on this list for the, the RPG fans out there. Another really awesome kind of anniversary release is the Star Wars role-playing game, 30th anniversary edition. I actually picked this up myself. Uh, I never actually played this RPG, but I read these books ad nauseum when I was a child, (laughs) trying to learn about all the different characters and all the different types of things in the Star Wars universe. And a lot of the things we now know about the Star Wars universe came from this book, which was released at a time when there were no Star Wars movies and there was no Star Wars media coming out at all. So this is kind of a, a blast from the past for everybody out there who's played the Star Wars role playing game back in the day or was a Eight-year-old obsessed with Star Wars, but could not find anything new about it. I um, was reading through these. And then the last one is a strong recommendation from my local game store. They've been playing this a lot. is Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition. Classic RPG system. Fantastic, solid, very updated, solid new mechanics in this book. There are a lot of little RPGs as well. I don't, I'm not a huge RPGer, but in the midst of kind of, I would say, almost a renaissance of RPGs, coming from people who are kickstarting or kind of throwing them on the side, like, you know, Renegades doing Overlight, which is a fantastic series, you know, system as well, worth checking out. So there's a lot of good stuff out there, but if you're looking for solid gifts, these three are a good place to start.
1: All right, so there you are, BGA's 2018 shopping guide. Hopefully this holds you out for the holiday season, but if you have any more questions, you can still follow up with us. And there are some amazing, episodes that maybe you haven't heard yet patreon.com backslash bga board gamers anonymous has some extra episodes for your holiday listening pleasure not to mention some additional games you might want to get to the table on this upcoming holiday season all right anthony so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you seat at our holiday table